Hi everyone. Hi everyone online. You're still here. Um, welcome to this session on uh, bringing data into public finance decision making processes in the education sector. So I'm hoping that this is going to be a nice applied session uh, with some kind of really in-depth um, case case discussions of uh, of Sierra Leone. And I think in a in a kind of very broad sense, what we're going to start with is we'll have we'll get a kind of general framework for thinking about the connections between um, public finance data um, and education data systems and kind of public financial management systems um, more generally. Um, and then we'll kind of use that as a kind of way into to looking at a, at a kind of specifics of a given, you know, a given case and, and looking at Sierra Leone. So uh, my name is Sead Hadley. I'm a researcher here at ODI. Uh, I work on the kind of public finance and service delivery um, work that ODI does. And also very interested in um, in how finance ministries use evidence. So I'm kind of really interested to, to hear what comes out of this. Um, I'm joined by by three presenters, two here in the room, one online. Um, I've got Alistair Fraser here next to me. Uh, Alistair is an independent economist uh, working uh, quite extensively these days in, in the field of education. Um, he's worked in ministries across uh, different parts of Africa on different aspects of education financing and most recently was with the Global Partnership for Education as a thematic lead on domestic finance. Um, Alistair also contributed to the paper or led the paper on, on EMIS, on Education Information Management Systems, which is available you know, here in the room or, or outside. Um, we've got Iman um, Biokubets. Um, I hope I pronounced that right. Give me a nod if I did. Give me a thumbs down if I didn't. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Iman is the uh, EdTech Hub Country Co-Lead for Sierra Leone, and she's working through open development education. And prior to this, she was with the Ministry of Basic and Senior Secondary Education in Sierra Leone as a data analyst um, in the Minister's delivery team. So thanks, uh, Iman, for joining and for joining online. It's really great. Um, and lastly, I've got Ali McIntosh um, of Fab Inc. Um, it's an, he's an education economist specializing in uh, sector project level costing, value for money, girls education, and has been working uh, also kind of extensively in Sierra Leone um, on the data, the education data, um, and across its kind of education data uh, ecosystem. So, you know, brilliant. Thanks, guys, for, for joining. I'm really looking forward to, to this. What I'm going to suggest is we're going to have three presentations. I'm going to let everyone run through their presentations. Um, and then we'll have a kind of full, full kind of 45 minutes or so for, for, for Q&A. Um, so with that, let me turn over Alistair to kind of kick us off. Uh, great, thanks very much. Um, so um, we're here today with a few slides on um, really how do EMISs and um, how can EMIS and the PFM's system really help each other and also some of the sort of common challenges um, that affect both. So, I mean, from a kind of financial man management perspective, digitization clearly affects, you know, consulting um, hundreds, thousands or hundreds of thousands even of schools. Um, there's a clear kind of gain from digital there um, that's maybe more obvious to stupid people like me than even within, within PFM itself. Um, so, um, one of the you know, one of the things we're, we looked at was across the kind of the uh, six ed, ed tech hub focus countries, um, how, how they use data in the budget process around education. Um, and the, sorry, the six countries are Pakistan, Sierra Leone, uh, Bangladesh, Ghana, Kenya, and Tanzania. They've just added Malawi, which didn't cover, but which um, I, can, I can also speak about other work. But anyway, 
So the first slide kind of um, suggests, sorry, how we um, it kind of covers why you know why why us why write this paper and um, there has been so there's, there was a roundtable in 2021 with UNESCO and GPE that covers sort that was literally called the future of Remus but what we wanted to look at uh, in a lot more detail was um, um, kind of the ministries of finance and centres of government as as kind of organisations that could try and drive higher quality. Um, and kind of more engagement with EMIS. So often EMISs are kind of project, they're very projectized and they're kind of, I mean, it suffers from some of the same problems as PFM interventions, where we kind of try and open this box and, you know, we, over three or four years, we fund an EMIS installation. Um, and there has been what a lot of the digital um, um, kind of impetus has been towards real time systems where you kind of, you get kind of very frequent, um, frequent data uh, on, and also richer data. So, so it's it, it kind of goes beyond enrollment counts, but um, they also kind of struggle to survive beyond um, the kind of donor intervention. Um, the other issue is, of course, like when they're being planned, they don't necessarily talk across government, but kind of there are there are all these kind of registers and repositories, particularly in kind of ministries of public service. Which are kind of the HR functions of government, um, and of course, um, even across these kind of focus countries, local government has kind of um, um, substantial involvement in uh, Ghana, um, Western Kenya, other than ECD, and and they, on paper, there's a lot of local government involvement in education in Tanzania. Although that's now, uh, it gets kind of they're being crowded out every year by the central government. Um, so obviously the, the learning crisis is, is this kind of major issue in education where 70% uh, of lower income um, students age 10 can't read a single sentence, um, according to um, mainly the kind of learning assessments and household studies. Um, there's been work over the last kind of 40 years where some systems, as they've grown in terms of access, have got worse in terms of quality. Um, sometimes kind of quite substantially worse. Um, and there are, um, you know, PFM objectives around government efficiency. Um, you know, the, the central government can be kind of more aligned towards driving efficiency than ministries of education. So there are ministries of education who really want to transform their sectors and there, there are lots of ministries that don't. Um, and, you know, sometimes there is a kind of a, a kind of reform opportunity where you look at the the Ministry of Finance as some as, a, as an organisation that can kind of pull up um, the Ministry of Education, really. Um, and of course, finance isn't it really really isn't everything in terms of um, um, learning, but um, it can you know better financing processes can unblock some of these some of these constraints. Uh, so there, we kind of. So I want to move quite quickly to the kind of the reflections, recommendations, just to keep this ideally with the time. Um, and so, just yeah. So um, the you know the other some of these problems that are faced by ministries of education and collecting reasonably accurate um, EMIS data are also faced by other agencies and governments. Um, you know there. 
and some of the data is already being collected essentially when teachers are hired and employed um, and it's kind of duplicated across the EMIS and there's a potential for verification if if you know there's more work across governments um, and it's also you know ministries of finance should be interested in kind of data integrity as a government-wide issue although you know, awareness of, of the agenda beyond access isn't often very high in, in ministries of finance. As far as I found, it's still, there's still the kind of 90s focus in a lot of ministries on, on access. Um, and of course, in some countries, so for instance, Pakistan um, and even Kenya, in terms of, you know, school completion, um, the, you know, the access still matters. It's still an agenda that matters. But, but anyway, you know, we, we have emises that usually collect all the data so they collect their frame they, they do uh, poll every school but they don't necessarily pull any school every school accurately and, and information on repetition is typically which is a huge issue for kind of efficiency but also you know it's uh so for instance in uganda it's a huge issue around it's kind of getting you know school heads to try and kind of progress teachers through uh, uh, students through um that that isn't collected with really any accuracy by by many emises as far as we can tell um and that's obviously an issue for financing because in, in a lot of the countries we looked at and even kind of way up in income distribution we also kind of looked at the uk um and south africa systems you are still at some stage counting counting children and sending money after them at some at some stage of the system I think everywhere, but some regions of Pakistan don't yet do that, but um, everywhere else did. Um, and then there's a kind of, there is also a wider interest from the kind of ministries of finance side in terms of um, being able to relate um, money, usually donor money to results. Um, and that also requires a lot of EMIS integrity. And there are kind of big questions around whether that's, whether it's possible to kind of with using national systems verify the the um, the, the EMIS data to 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 ensure that payments are reasonably um, are based on data that has some integrity, really. Um, and I think one of the other you know you know why I care about ministries of finance if you're planning an EMIS is obviously like they they end up paying for the ongoing costs. These are expensive exercises, and. Um, the, and the other point just we to make that we found sort of interesting was that at different levels of, it, of, of income, increasingly at richer countries, um, so for instance, South African provinces, um, UK local councils, they're, they're doing extra work identifying children in need, uh, in need whereas at lower income uh, levels, it's basically it's area-based and often quite kind of it can be quite iniquitous financing, really, um, but it's it is more kind of area based top down targeting of poorer and richer areas. Um, so I think next slide, sorry. Mm -hmm. so, and um, one of the big issues that you know comes with a kind of projectized donor um, intervention is that you do you know, you, they, they do then try and kind of link data sets across government to avoid kind of duplication um, and to kind of make the data sets richer to link with kind of learning assessments, for instance, um, and, and also to link with kind of teacher characteristics. Um, and, and just 
you know, with linking data and integrating data is, is something that it's, 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 you know, it's an, when we're talking about teams and kind of um, building teams, it's a kind of, it's a particular capability that's often really difficult to kind of retain in governments or even outsource using government resources beyond the length of a donor project. I mean, systems approaches might help, but it's still something that is, is obviously the India, Bangladesh, very different context to say a smaller state in, in Southern Africa, for instance, um, where, you know, the talent will be hired elsewhere in the region or, or just if it's a very small country, there's kind of a, a pipeline issue in terms of the number of people really prepared to link data. And I, I think, I mean, hopefully, you know, Microsoft Copilot and AI will solve all our problems there, but there's still issues around kind of um, knitting together different data sets. Um, so the kind of approach that we're, you know, looking at is, is around um, kind of more of a look at the kind of social political challenges of, of running an EMIS, of, you know, whether there is really an appetite to, you know, have a richer data set that might kind of you know, connect more to the learning agenda, you know, whether there's any kind of any of the kind of the mindset changing in place that you would need to, for instance, record repetition properly, because after all, even if it's not a financial issue, you know, head teachers want a quiet life. And if you tell them that repetition or pass rates or completion rates should be 10%, that's what they'll report. Um, um, and I think that's that's kind of what our, our kind of major point is that you have to really have a list of temporary and permanent functions. So functions that you want to kind of um, have as as kind of part of the kind of donor project length or for for a set amount of time or to tackle a particular government problem, ideally. And then also these permanent functions are kind of core EMIS data set as well. Um, and we also think that if you want kind of honest, accurate data, it's going to have to start with the, the system being useful to schools. So I know not to criticize Tanzania while they're outside the, the room, but there is this issue around their system just faces um, uh, PORALG, which is the central government. There's very little information that is, at least there was two years ago when, when I was looking at it, there's very little information that faces back to even local governments and you can kind of forget about schools getting much from 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 all this data that they're providing um and and the single source of truth is kind of just again it's one of these things that's kind of as easy to write on a slide but very very difficult to actually actually do and i think we discussed some of those issues in the paper anyway am i out of time no no you're good okay so these are um might be too small to see on a screen but these are the recommendations and they're kind of around three themes um, and one of them is kind of um, you know really if, if, if possible and it is obviously in some contexts ministry ministries of finance won't be interested and um, central agencies won't be interested but there are often opportunities to you know education is the is the biggest or second biggest line uh, in most um, lower income so low and lower middle income country governments um, and there, there, there should be some, you know, interest in, in kind of levering, leveraging a more efficient system. It is also about trying to convince ministries of education that they can then keep the resources if they don't, you know, if they do have teachers to reallocate or resources that can be reallocated as a, as a result of greater, you know, um, internal efficiency in terms of actually progressing children through the system. 
Um, and again, it comes back to this point about building a kind of capability because there are, you know, education is a highly politicized area. It's also an area where the thinking about what we should actually do about learning crisis changes quite regularly. Um, and I think kind of, you know, you do need to build a capability to then, you know, revise what your, what your system does. It isn't just a kind of monolith that, you know, you can unpack and then it's an annual school census and we knit that together with all the data and then we go away. Um, and I, I do also think when we, when we think about EMISs, there are, you know, there are costs and benefits to a kind of state of the art approach, which involves um, kind of very high frequency data. There's not many government officials around, the, even around the budget process. Typically countries use it once a year um, to allocate. Ideally they'd use it several times, including in the evaluation phase of the budget. Uh, you know, this information from the EMIS, but they probably don't use it every month. They don't use it every week. You know, the idea that there are kind of, that decision-making is kind of fast acting across education systems is, is kind of, it, it suffers from the sort of what's called the Pritchett rule where you're inventing things that don't happen in, in very high income countries for low income countries to do. Um, the second set of recommendations is just around, you know, focus on schools because um, at the moment they just face so few incentives to give anybody any accurate data at all. Um, and you do need a system whereby you don't penalize people who don't have electricity. And I think that's very difficult to do if you're designing allocation formula. Um, it's also just, it's, it's very hard to kind of come up with a system that looks at data verification and integrity. Um, there's talk of using inspection systems and trying to make, turn them into quality assurance systems. That has been, that depends on the attitude of the inspectors. And it really has had very mixed results in, in various countries. Um, and then across government, you know, we do talk about kind of, um, you know, there are countries that haven't used, you know, big data to, to transform their systems. So Vietnam famously has this system where 16 year olds are more better prepared, kind of more capable than they are in kind of Scotland or England. Um, and they've done that. They do have uh, a, a good EMIS system, uh, but it is like it's very decentralized and they don't use the EMIS system for kind of, you know, machine learning driven insights at, at present anyway, um, or at least they got to the stage that they're at without this kind of data revolution. And it's the same with kind of, I mean, ODI have a really good paper about Malaysia and kind of, it is possible to develop without wonderful PFM functionality, although you do probably need good enough PFM. Um, and then we also talk about, you know, um, kind of welcoming data from outside and, and, and trying to, there's, there's a big pushback against that. And there's kind of a really good recent survey um, done by Lee Crawford and others at Center for Global Development about how, um, you know, difficult it is um, to persuade people to use sample-based data in government, but that's, it's a kind of door that we just need to push at because of the data in some ways, lower income governments can't necessarily produce data that quality. Uh, and they face different incentives. Anyway, anything else, Carl, you want to add or? Okay, cheers. Thanks, Thanks. Alistair. Um, so I, I mean, two, two, two little things I think people can remember, we can maybe come back to in the Q&A, but this kind of idea of temporary and permanent functions of EMIS and the other is, I think something that's going to come up over and over again, which is like, it's easy to say, but hard to do. Um, 
So with that, why don't we kind of move from this kind of general and kind of cross-country picture to Iman who's going to start kind of giving us a flavor of how this looks in Sierra Leone. So over to you, Iman. If you can share your slides from your side, that'd be great. Can everyone see my slides? I hope it's come up. Okay, great. Well, I'm sorry that I can't be there in person today, but I'm really happy um, to be here to speak to you all today about some work we're doing in Sierra Leone. So uh, my name is Imam Biokubets, and as mentioned earlier, I'm one of the country leads for Sierra Leone for um, EdTech Hub. I'm currently based in Freetown, Sierra Leone, so I'm giving my presentation from there. So this presentation is mainly going to focus on how the government of Sierra Leone have been using data for decision making and how we at EdTech Hub have been able to support this work. So I'm going to start by taking you through a brief background of the education data landscape in Sierra Leone. And then we'll move on to some of the work that EdTech Hub have done, um, which has been working on mapping the Sierra Leone education data ecosystem. And here I'll give you an overview of the research that we did, and then I'll have, um, I'll just go over a couple of the findings. After that, I want to look at a particular case study of an example where the government have actually been encouraging schools to use data at the school level, and in particular using technology, in this case tablets, for data management. And then finally, I want us to kind of look forward and see um, what the next steps are here. So what's actually happening in education data in Sierra Leone? The government, alongside um, different government partners, have already started to invest in the collection and use of more data across the education system as a whole. So this includes collecting dynamic data on teachers and students and aiming to consolidate this information into one single source of truth. So um, one point that um, Alistair made in his presentation earlier was that a single source of truth requires, you know, joint work and common aims across the government, not just in the Ministry of Education. And this is definitely something that the ministry are taking into consideration already when they're trying to create this single source of truth, which is really a good start. So although using data for decision making has been made a priority for the Ministry of Basic and Senior Secondary Education, there are low levels of coordination within the government, between donors, between the government and their donors. And this has resulted in a lot of fragmentation and duplication across the data system. So there are involvements at all levels, which is great from um, HQ in Freetown to district level and at the school level. But we do need to be wary of staff turnover when we're trying to get this to have more of an impact because this could affect our, our um, efforts to actually embed the new system, which is what we're trying to do now and making sure that we're able to embed it at each level of the education system. So one way the government have actually invested in data for decision making is by looking at tablet based tools, um, specifically for school leaders to support data management at the school level. And even though we've tested the data system, we do need to make sure that we keep exploring how to structure the tools to make sure that they actually support the school leaders in the best way and support the teachers so that they can then find the best ways to actually support their students and increase learning. 
And another example that um, the ministry have used um, in terms of using tablets is the use of tablets um, amongst school quality assurance officers. So here they're actually um, using these tablets that have been given to them to collect information on lesson observations, any kind of school quality assurance issues, and also verifying attendance in the different schools within their clusters. So now we're gonna have a look at the mapping that we did at EdTech Hub on the Sierra Leone education data ecosystem. So here we basically wanted to understand what challenges there are in the current education data ecosystem from collecting and using data at the policy level to those who are using data in the schools. And by understanding these challenges, we wanted to see what can be done to make it easier for stakeholders to actually use the data they have to make decisions. As a result, we decided to create a mapping of the education data ecosystem in Sierra Leone. So here, our aim was to understand who collects, handles, uses, and actually needs what data to support the education decisions that they need to make. Um, by doing this, we wanted to be able to provide like a basis for developing a more consolidated system that would reduce duplication. And we were able to carry out this study by doing quite a lot of um, semi-structured interviews and 59 in total with government officials at both the central and the district levels, as well as different donors and NGOs that are working in the education space here in Sierra Leone. So now I just want to take you through um, four key findings from our mapping. So firstly, a really interesting thing that we found was that there isn't actually a lack of education data in Sierra Leone. Many um, MBSSC directorates and units have developed um, different systems and tools for collecting and managing data. Well, we have the TSC, which is the Teaching Service Commission, also have additional systems that they're using to collect and manage teacher-related data specifically. So when we spoke to all the directorates and the units, they were able to tell us how they're actually using the data they collect and what data they also need to make their decisions. Then when you add the data that's being collected by the different NGOs and donor partners, we found that there is a lot of education data in Sierra Leone. Now, although there isn't a lack of education data, the different systems do not speak to each other. There are a number of different data systems from different directorates and units in the MBSSC, the Teaching Service Commission, as well as systems created by donor partners. And I guess the creation of all of these different systems, I think stems in part from the perceived need to actually collect data to verify the accuracy of the information from the other sources. So through this study, for example, we actually found 17 different data collection programs spanning across 11 government directorates and units. And of these um, 17 different data collection programs, they had at least five different funding sources. So this leads me directly onto our third finding. Our study found a large amount of duplication amongst data collection efforts and those who are actually handling data on the same topics. So as you can imagine, if there are, you know, 17 different data collection programs, it's likely that some of them are going to be collecting data on the same topic. So for example, we found nine different entities collecting or handling data just on teacher backgrounds. So we have the Teaching Service Commission, which handles all matters related to teachers, but 
There are still four directorates and units at the Ministry of Basic and Senior Secondary Education, the MBSSC, that are also collecting and handling data on teacher background. So as you can see just from this example, there is a significant amount of duplication. And finally, um, we found that there was a lack of coordination amongst the government bodies as well as the donors. So the government doesn't really have a designated space for different entities to share information on their data collection efforts and their programs. So as a result, there are different directorates collecting information on the same topic. And these directorates are then working with different partners and donors and therefore have developed different systems and tools to collect and manage all of the school and teacher related data that they have. So in many cases, they are collecting and managing data on the same topics. So now I've kind of given you an overview of what that kind of looks like in terms of the education data ecosystem. I want to spotlight on this example of the government actually encouraging the use of data at the school level. So in 2021, um, EdTechHub collaborated with the government and the UK aid funded programme um, Lewy Lam, which looks at senior uh, secondary improvement. And we were partnering to look at using technology specifically for data management at the school level. So we actually looked at a tablet-based data collection and management tool that would be used by the school leaders. And our aim here was to understand how and why school leaders actually engage with tablet-based management systems. And we did that by asking three main questions. So number one, how do school leaders engage with tablet-based surveys to manage school level data? Question number two, what influences the engagement of school leaders with the One Tablet Per School programme? And finally, question number three, how can the government iterate the programme design to increase the collection and use of data in schools? So we tested this data management tool in 80 schools in two districts in Sierra Leone. So 40 schools in the Western Area Urban, which is where Freetown is, um, the capital, and then 40 schools in Port Loco, which is about two hours outside of Freetown by road. So here we took a mixed methods approach that included real-time data analysis, as well as semi-structured interviews with the school leaders, those who were involved in the program. And the results of um, this user testing experience were actually used to um, inform the One Tablet Per School program to ensure it better meets the needs and expectations of the school leaders who are going to be the main users. So from this research, um, we had four main findings. Firstly, we found that in terms of engagement with the tablet and submitting data, school leaders mostly fell into one of three categories. They were either early adopters who submitted data most days, hesitant adopters who submitted data now and again, or non-adopters who rarely submitted data. And when we actually went and spoke to um, these principals in these semi-structured interviews, we were able to speak to all three categories to get an understanding of what was and wasn't working for them. So from these discussions, we found that those who were early and hesitant adopters were already actually using the forms for school improvement and management, and they were taking action based on this data that they were collecting. So, um, one thing that I remember, I remember noticing um, 
in one of our interviews was one of our principals was really eager to show us the data that she'd collected and show us how she was able to see at just the touch of a button how many students were in each class disaggregated by girls and boys how many teachers were there and I feel like she really was happy to that she could have that information and use it so easily so secondly from our um, conversation with the school leaders, we did find a number of reasons that made engagement difficult for them. So reasons for limited engagement that we mainly found with the program was um, firstly that they had limit, they had little time to actually collect the data. As to a lot of the principals, this was extra work. So they had already had competing priorities. They had a high workload. So collecting data on this tablet wasn't necessarily a priority for them. Um, school leaders also noted some systemic challenges, such as the lack of pay for them, for their teachers, and the integration with other systems. In some cases, um, there was some resistance from teachers who felt the system was like a witch hunt. And one of the principals noted that their teachers had said, why has our school been chosen for the teachers to be monitored? Why aren't they monitoring all the teachers? And then um, lastly, a further barrier was the need for more airtime and mobile data for them to actually submit their forms. So one issue that kept coming up, and although the principals are allocated a certain amount of mobile data through the Larry Land program, they felt that at times this wasn't enough or it ran out before that they wanted to actually submit their forms, which was really interesting. Thirdly, um, despite the barriers to engagement in some cases, um, the school leaders that did engage with the program had an increased leadership capacity as well as administrative efficiency, similar to the example that I mentioned earlier. So school leaders felt that collecting this data actually encouraged them to use the data for school improvement and gave them a greater understanding of what was going on in their school, whether that be keeping better track of which teachers were attending their classes regularly or knowing at any moment how many schools, how many students, sorry, were in the school and in each class. And as I said, disaggregated by girls and boys. So this collection and use of data led to a consistent cycle of learning and improvement for the school leaders and for the teachers. And finally, school leaders expressed a need for the government to actually take action based on the data that they were collecting. So they felt that if they were gonna invest time in actually doing this data collection and they're gonna be sending the data up to HQ, then it would need to lead to the government taking action. In particular, school leaders wanted government to actually get involved in terms of teacher absenteeism. So the teachers could see that there would be consequences for them not attending school. And one school leader actually said, um, and I can quote that monitoring teacher attendance would be worthless if the Teaching Service Commission does not sanction absenteeism. So we can see that at times, although we are encouraging um, principals to collect this data and use this data, their data is going up and nothing is necessarily coming back down, which would be a problem um, if we're trying to roll this system out nationally. So now looking forward and looking at what's next. So what is next for the education data ecosystem in Sierra Leone? From our research, our findings showed the challenges between the supply of education data and the use of this information in decision-making. And we were able to see how we can actually support an improved system by working together. So moving forward, uh, we've been able to support the government to create a roadmap 
for a consolidated education data system that provides um, this single source of truth. Um, here, the government have actually obtained funding from GPE for data system strengthening. Um, the mapping of the education data system showed the need for more coordination amongst partners. So as a result, partners are coming together to actually support the ministry in a much more consolidated approach. So for example, EdTech Hub have been working with um, Fab Inc and Lewy Land to see how we can bring all of the different pieces together. So I think we all kind of decided that we don't necessarily need to have one system as such, but we do need to make sure that the systems that we do have are going to be talking to each other for decision makers to be at, to actually be able to use the data effectively. So here we can ensure there's consistent data collection amongst the different partners at all levels, which will then avoid duplication and fatigue for those who are actually doing the data collection. To help further this coordination, um, a data harmonization working group is being created by the government, and this will be headed and chaired by the Ministry of Basic and Senior Secondary Education and the Ministry of Technical and Higher Education. So partners, donors and other ministries will be invited to join to ensure there is coordination of all the data related exercises, not only within the government system, but sorry, within the education system, but also across the government as a whole. And finally, um, the One Talent for School programme has successfully rolled out the first phase in 60 government and government assisted primary schools and will soon be rolling out in 300 schools for the next phase. So not only will this programme show the value of using data for decisions at all levels, it will also enhance the culture and understanding of using data for decision making. And I guess in the future, we hope to see a system where everyone agrees on the importance of data collection and they're all bought into this process and that they'll be able to see the importance of data use and then actually use the data accordingly. So um, thank you all for listening and please don't hesitate to contact me if you would like uh, more information. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, Iman. And again, like sort of the, the the sense of the kind of fragmentation of systems is really is kind of really useful to kind of draw out and draw out sort of so specifically um i also kind of picked up on your points about about the incentives um around, around data and data use and both and what was interesting i suppose from your presentation is it's it's it is both about the school level and the kind of you know the, the kind of higher levels of the government and how those two relate i think touches a bit on what alistair was saying earlier but with that ali why don't you kind of Kick us off onto the next onto the next set of slides, Great. and um, and the discussion of the school census um, in Tiolio. Great, yeah, thanks everyone. Uh, it's great to be here today. Uh, my name is Ali McIntosh. Uh, I'm an education economist uh, with Fab Inc. Uh, it's an education consultancy um, specialising in uh, a lot of things to do with the, yeah data systems. Uh, we've got people from educationalists, uh, economists, uh, data scientists, uh, software developers. Uh, so trying to bring that those skills to uh, improve data for decision-making um, in uh, developing countries. Um, so uh, it's, uh, we've been working in uh, Sierra Leone for the past five years, working closely with the uh, Ministry of uh, Basic and Senior Secondary Education uh, and the Teaching Service Commission. Um, and it's been really great listening here today um, and hearing about some of the, the, the efforts and the challenges in, in digitalization uh, from the Ministry of Finance sides. Um, and it's been very uh, interesting to see kind of 
the same uh, the same efforts and the, some of the similar challenges coming up, uh, particularly when we're looking at the education uh, sector in Sierra Leone as well. Um, so it's going to be, yeah, uh, I'll try and pull out some of those similar threads uh, whilst I talk through this as well. And first, I want to talk a bit about um, kind of how Sierra Leone has gone from the annual school census uh, and the kind of just one-off reports uh, to more of an education management information system, like Alistair was saying, and then uh, how this is being used kind of for more data for decision making, um, particularly as, as Iman mentioned as well. Um, and so a couple of things um, that sort of come out here is uh, like a few years ago, much of the annual school census data was kind of on one person's hard drive in the ministry and someone else might have another year's uh, set of data. And so um, this doesn't. This isn't kind of set up to for decision making. So uh, one one of the things that's uh, it's been great is there's been a, a real commitment to improving access to data uh, from the government, um, and then with this focus, I think uh, partners uh, have been able to then support the governments uh, and kind of there's, there's been a good drive to work together um, to try and solve some of the problems uh, that people want help with. Um, and finally, I think something that came out this earlier this morning about the kind of problem-driven iterative approach. I think one of the key things that's been going on in your own uh, education sector is uh, improvement, improving incrementally, um, and trying to yeah take what's there and make uh, steady, sustainable steps uh, to improving it. So, from. Uh, from those kind of uh, school census data being on different people's hard drives. Uh, this has now been collated um, into um, a secure cloud database and it has school level data from 2015 uh, through to now. Um, and as new data comes in, uh, this makes it easier to, uh, the, like the processing and cleaning time uh, gets easier each year. Um, and this means that the school census data can be more readily available for, for planning use, um, uh, yeah, in a more timely fashion. Um, this also has the benefit of using with more, more years worth of data, we can see if there's any anomalies as it comes in um, and uh, been working with the, yeah, with the Ministry of Education this year on the most recent census um, to each day identify Oh, there's an anomaly in what's in the number of students that this school says they have, or um, the yeah the number of classrooms, um, and uh, or particularly things that to do with the MS codes, um, which is uh, key to keeping the the clean database. Um, so we've been able to follow up on that in real time, uh, and this is something I think the Ministry of Finance, as well as keen the to ensure that the student numbers are accurate, as this forms the uh, the basis of um, subsidies. Uh, and so one of the things as well that we're seeing from this is that uh, the improvements in the data quality uh, and the data accessibility is bringing increasing demand for more data. Um, and so, um, as Amanda was saying, there's the, uh, the data harmonization working group being set up to try and uh, improve interoperability across some of the systems. Um, and there's also, yeah, it's increasing demand in ensuring these systems yeah, can talk to each other and can be um, yeah, can be more useful and uh, harmonized. Uh, so one of the things that's happening here is we're developing um, the school master list uh, from something that was on Excel and updated uh, kind of in an ad hoc fashion, uh, and then 
add different um, spreadsheets that in different people's computers uh, into a online um, uh, onto a, yeah onto a database that um, can be set up so that each different users can uh, can access the API and get the current latest uh, uh, school master list uh, and ensure that everyone's kind of working from the same from the same hymn sheet from the same book uh, same book so that um, yeah so that there, we can improve interoperability going forwards. Um, one other key part that's really helped. Um, in the in the education data is the collecting geo data um, on the latitude and longitude of schools, um, which can really improve some of the quality of data analysis that can be done. Uh, and also, you'll see some uh, uh, some spatial tools that can help with planning um, as well. And yeah, there's a great commitment as well from government that these things are made publicly available. Um, so some of the different tools um, I'll talk through. Um, uh, yeah, are publicly available online. And there's also uh, the Education uh, Data app, um, which summarizes some of this uh, key data on enrollments, uh, gender, uh, teachers, and uh, even a map of where the schools are um, is available on the, on the web and on Androids and uh, iOS as well. Um, and so, um, in terms of yeah, where Syria is kind of moving forwards to is as Emmanuel was saying, trying to improve sort of data for decision making. Um, and so, one of the examples um, in terms of the incremental steps is as Iman saying, we've been looking at um, bringing together not just this school census data that um, that is collected each year, but bringing that into the um, to be used at the same time as uh, real time data. Uh, from some of the uh, school quality assurance officers on the tablets um, and ensuring that, for example, district um, district uh, officials uh, can see not just the one the snapshot one off data, but also kind of uh, the um, performance related data that's happening uh, regularly in schools. And so one of the, the steps that's been made is, uh, yeah, to make this available in one place um, for uh, for users like those uh, district education officers. And then uh, as well as just showing this data, uh, there's a, a number of tools uh, that have been made to, to help improve some of the decision-making from this as well. Um, uh, and so one of these is an uh, example on the, the left-hand side there is um, a tool to decide where to build new schools uh, and for catchment area planning, um, also things uh, in terms of where to build new classrooms, uh, ensuring this is a real data driven approach. Um, so MBSSC uh, is now using spatial algorithms for this sort of uh, micro planning. Um, and again, that's a, it's a publicly available tool uh, there. Uh, and thinking as well from the, from the Ministry of Finance perspective that we were discussing earlier, um, this so uh, this can show as well that um, any money that does come for school uh, for new school construction, for example, can will be used in the most uh, in the most efficient way, and um, yeah, will build schools uh, in the most uh, needy locations from uh, a data driven perspective. Uh, and it also one of the um, other functions of this is similarly for uh, deciding where to um, where schools will be funded. Um, as, uh, as schools get approved. Um, so if there's kind of too much budget 
uh, uh, too many schools in need of approval, but not enough budget to add the schools. There's a data-driven process uh, to choosing which schools get selected as well. Uh, and another similar example um, that's uh, being worked on with, uh, we're working on with uh, the EdTech Hub is around uh, teacher allocation um, and then just developing a flexible tool um, that the Teaching Service Commission can add in the, the things that they want to prioritize in this round of recruitment uh, and having a tool that uh, adapts uh, to that and helps select again in a data-driven way. Um, which, uh, yeah, which teachers to add to payroll. Uh, so kind of we've said a bit more about the, so the, the ministry and the teaching service commission side, but um, one of the things uh, for, this, for this talk today about PFM side of things, um, I'm not from the government myself, but I can say that uh, I've seen an improvement in engagement uh, between Ministry uh, and the Ministry of Finance and the uh, and the Ministry of Education and Teaching Service Commission, uh, and in terms of some of the data needs that are being swapped um, between the two. Um, so I think TSC recently has asked for a bit more data to be within the the payroll um, data to help them manage teachers better, uh, which has just come into force. Uh, and then similarly, the Ministry uh, of Education and Ministry of Finance have recently switched um, the school ID um, that was being used to the, to the latest uh, new robust MS codes. Um, so yeah, there's been good progress uh, on there as well. And as Iman says, the, the data harmonization working group can hopefully uh, drive this forward as well. Uh, so just um, kind of finally, finished up on some of the key lessons from this work. Um, I think when, we, when we're thinking about dating, uh, data for decision-making uh, systems, we're kind of thinking about some of the people, the processes and the technology. Uh, and actually often it's the, the tech is the easier part and it's the people and the processes that are the, the most important things to, uh, and the hardest things to get right. Um, an example here is we're saying, so, um, developing a verification um, method for the school census this year so that it could flag schools quickly um, if any anomalies in the data came up. Uh, but there were challenges in ensuring kind of the funds for, uh, for the school quality assurance officers uh, and the district staff to go back and check those, um, those anomalies. Um, so yeah, there's different kind of uh, processes that uh, need to still be ironed out in some of these. Um, I think as well, so yeah, some of the kind of things that might seem simple um, on the surface can, can be quite complex and need to be um, decided uh, between um, the Ministry of Education to kind of set out some of these things. So there's been uh, particularly work in terms of the school approval policy, um, thinking about uh, what what, what qualifies as a school and what does what are the minimum standards that a Ministry uh, of Education requires for that school to, uh, to be allowed to operate and to receive government funding. Um, and as well, thinking about the, the kind of catchment planning um, policy that the Ministry's developed. Uh, there was a initial wish to kind of set a target of a distance to a school, um, a, min yeah, a maximum distance from any child to a school, but that's kind of, uh, there was reasons that this becomes kind of unaffordable and uh, inefficient and so there's uh, 
with kind of uh, more discussion, with, uh, the ministry has moved towards the system of deciding where best to use the resources you have, uh, rather than uh, kind of targets that might be difficult uh, or unattainable uh, in the uh, budget constraints. And finally, um, thinking in terms of uh, what, where we started off with the a school census being done, but kind of not necessarily being uh, kept in the most uh, organized fashion. I think it's important that running a data system is not just the, uh, is not the same as running just one round of an MS data. Uh, and so there's important um, priorities that needed in terms of ensuring that unique IDs stay unique across time. Um, and here we can get different uh, challenges in terms of if the admin boundaries change and the MS code is dependent on the admin boundaries, um, this can be something that happens. Uh, the uh, National Bureau of Statistics can, uh, uh, yeah, can change the admin boundaries, but this affects the Ministry of Education. So this is, uh, yeah, important things to kind of uh, ensure harmonisation across uh, across the different ministries. Um, and then finally, uh, as also came up in some of the conversations this morning, so, uh, the key part here is around the data architecture. So ensuring that uh, whilst different systems, uh, data systems are not necessarily by themselves a bad thing, there might be reasons why Teaching Service Commission needs some, uh, some things that the Ministry of Education doesn't or the Ministry of Finance doesn't, but just ensuring uh, the interoperability um, of, of these systems is, uh, is crucial and um, yeah, is one of the, the main ways that uh, Sierra Leone is trying to move forward in the next few years. Thanks very much. Great. So I think we've managed to successfully cover pretty much, I'm just noting down, like everything from politics and incentives to data governance, uh, specific tech options, and uh, uh, and how you present and use data in, in specific cases. So we've got a lot that we can go down and use for this. So this is really great. So thanks for kind of doing that very wide ranging um, kind of set of insights. So I guess, you know, now we've got kind of Q&A time for the next 35 minutes or so um i will check i don't have anyone for comments on questions online i don't see unless there are <laughs> not yet no yeah so open to open to the room maybe front the online audience yeah so yeah, if, if anyone is online and you do have questions please write either, you know please write them in the chat and carl can can forward them on to me um and if yes over there in the back because I've got, otherwise Susan's given me a long list of her own questions that I can, uh, I can interject <laughs> with. Great, thank you very much. Hi, I'm Alex Metcalf, I'm the head of public sector at ACCA. Um, it's really fascinating to hear about the, the work that you're doing on, on education information systems. But what connects in my mind is the focus that we're seeing in PFM now on sustainability reporting. So from ACCA's perspective, we're working, we've actually funded the IPSAS board to undertake work now on developing international sustainability reporting standards. It'd be really interesting to hear from the panel. Uh, and when I say to help them in funding it, it's actually the research and scoping phase. So it is quite a foundational point now for us to really input on, on what's needed on an international basis. So it'd be great to hear from the, the panel with the education hat on and thinking of SDG four, you know, having the right quality and access to education. Um, are there data standards that are operating within your areas of focus that could help in setting international sustainability reporting standards. So uh, are there particular, I think you're talking about data architecture, for example, Ali, as one example there. Um, and from what you're already doing, are there ways in which you'd hope that an international framework 
uh, might come into place that you could kind of plug in what you already have to, to creating sustainability reports by ministries and by uh, by whole government. Thanks. Any other questions now? Um, I, you know, Alistair brought up the point in, in his presentation that, um, you know, a lot of the kind of data and education is like supply driven, um, but there seems to be, Sierra Leone seems to be an interesting case study where, where it seems like there's a lot of demand uh, for education data for policymaking. I just wonder if you could talk a little bit more specifically about where that where that demand is coming from so why don't i go to bioku why don't we start with you on that question and if you've got a view on the debt on the kind of the, the the data sustainability kind of architecture question um as well um and then we'll go to ali you next yeah sure happy to jump in here um Looking at, uh, talking about specifically where the demand for data is coming from, actually, from my experience, is actually coming from the top. It's coming from, at first, the minister, Minister Senge. Um, he is very keen and very much pushing forward the fact that he wants the entire ministry to be using data for decision-making. And because it's coming from the top, um, I guess everyone is just kind of jumping in and everyone's getting more and more excited about it as we learn more and as people actually see how this data can be used. Um, in a lot of um, the talks he gives, he always makes sure that there is data to back up what he's saying. And I think that at all levels, we're being able to see, okay, so if we can see an increase in the number of, uh, in the attendance here, okay, how can we make that work for us to, for in our school? Why is that happening? If our teachers are, if they can actively see that, let's say 50% of the teachers are not attending regularly, okay, we have data that shows us this is happening, but why? And now everyone's actually starting to ask those questions. And I had a conversation actually not too long ago last week with um, some district officers and you can see that they're using this data they're collecting on their school quality um, assurance visits to feed back to their district offices and be like, okay, this is what I've found. How can we help them improve? So I would definitely say that, yes, it's kind of started from the top, which is really ideal. I think having a minister who wants to um, enhance the use of data for decision-making makes a big difference, but it's definitely trickling down. I think that I think as it trickles down, what we need now is for it to get wider. So it's not just some individuals who are using it um, at the district level, but it's all. So yeah, I think that's kind of where we're at in terms of that. And I would say um, for the other questions that were mentioned on um, the international frameworks that we'd hope to use, I think this is something that we definitely need to incorporate into the work we're doing in Sierra Leone. Um, there aren't at the moment really any frameworks nationally that are being used, but as we're kind of trying to start set up this data working group and actually start to try and consolidate this better, I think we're definitely gonna need something that we can work with and work on something that has got using those international standards. But I don't know if we're quite there yet on something that we'd be able to share. Um, I think back to the chair, you wanted to pass over to Ali. Yeah, go on Ali, what do you got on that? Thanks, Evan. Um, 
Yeah, I'll answer about the demand side of things uh, first as well, uh, just to add to what Iman's saying. Um, I think on one side, um, as well, a lot of this data, there's a bit of real interest in making it public um, that does come from the top, but um, as yeah, as this is as this is seen, there's a, a the DSTI, um, the Directorate of Science, Technology, and Innovation, made an education data hub that it's, uh, was publicly showing this data um, and linking as well the exam data to the uh, to the school census data. So that's been available for a few years, um, and yeah, these different these different cases of uh, basically the more data you see, I think. Uh, it's really help. It's really helping increase the demand, um, and the second um, sort of side of for the demand, I think, is um, we started showing some of the uh, data for decision making tools that we've been develop developing with the Ministry of Education, um, and one example here, the, the catchment planning tool of where where to build new schools and where to build new classrooms. I think the demand here as well kind of comes from uh, kind of two sides. If one is if you, if you can make someone's job easier. Um, it's gonna, they're gonna use it and they're gonna want to, yeah, it's gonna be taken in. If you're gonna make someone's job harder, uh, you've got a bigger battle. So uh, in, in terms of this uh, planning tool, um, the ministry uh, knew they were gonna have more funding. Uh, there's gonna be funding from the World Bank to build uh, extra classrooms in schools over the next few years. And that there'll be uh, a few rounds of choosing which schools to build in. Um, now this could involve uh, spending a week at a time, uh, a week each year, going through Excels and trying to do some of the analysis. Or the way that we've been able to set up this tool with the Directorate of Policy and Planning is that it's now, it's a case of, uh, uh, the, the link is public, you can see it, but it's a, a case of about six clicks. Um, choose the level you want to build. Um, you can choose between whether you want to prioritize uh, remote schools, uh, poor areas uh, and uh, like more overcrowded or more schools that uh, or more areas that don't have children in school and you can balance between those um, and then you can say how much uh, schools you have budget for uh, and then you click it comes up and it tells you the reason why um, and so uh, I think this is one way uh, that you can help drive demand is if yeah if you can make make people's uh, lives easier um, and just another point on that is as well, ministries of education and directors of policy and planning and, uh, and, these, and these people that they face, I think, constant demands from people. Why aren't you building a school in my area? Or why my school's overcrowded? Uh, why aren't you building classrooms there? Um, and having, there's, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of need across the area, but having uh, something that you can publicly show and say, this is where we're building and this is the reason why. Um, uh, can protect you from from these the, these like political pressures um, and ensure that um, yeah ensure it's not just based on the loudest voice but it's based on the on the data where these decisions are being made um, and to answer the question about the kind of international um, data standards um, I think. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, I think I don't know the, the full history of uh, of it, but I know there's been a, an effort for towards open EMIS um, that did try and make some of these kind of standardized things. Um, I think uh, yeah, I think there is difficulties in getting countries to agree on different things uh, in general. So I think there is kind of 
there is some things that you could build um, build from there, but I don't think it ever kind of got uh, globally accepted. So um, yeah, I think that that would be uh, a useful resource to look at. And I think one thing that we've just seen uh, as we were building the the 2015 to uh, to 2022 uh, data set is that one of the key things is ensuring if you can ask uh, like if the get the same data in the same format each year is so much more more valuable. Um, and if you ask a question just uh, different uh, in a different way one year, or if you have a different um, possible set of answers, you can no longer compare it to the previous years and it's yeah much less useful. So I think one of the things that we've been working on as well is yeah trying to ensure that there's this core set of data that is collected no matter what in the same way. Uh, you can have optional things that could change each year if you wanted to particularly look at something, um, yeah, that's a bit more niche. But for the core data, uh, yeah, get, if we can get this this global agreement, it would be yeah really useful um, to ensure that uh, yeah things are more comparable across years and across countries. Yeah, Martha. Oh, thank you. Uh, just a few considerations. Uh, there was a slide that Iman put on the screen that was, I kind of sort of hit me. The one in which you said there were, you know, 21, 17, uh, whatever, nine departments, and then, sorry, 11 departments, and then nine plus nine plus three, again, collecting data all over the place. Uh, and we keep whining and complaining of the fragmentation, etc. I've yet to see, in analysis or case studies, let's try to answer the question, how, how did we get there? So it's not people kind of wake up in the morning and say, I start collecting data. There is an institutional setup that has evolved over the year. There is a legislative framework that gives authority to somebody to collect data or certain things. I think it seems to me, to me and I'm clearly, this may be a bit of a naive statement, Kind of missing a piece of the puzzle here because then if we say as you said alistair you know yeah it's easy to say you know improve coordination etc but then then it gets difficult well it gets difficult because we might be missing this piece of analysis because again at one point if you have a legislative framework that for some bizarre reason gives authority to collect data to 25 different agencies a different level of governments kind of stuck so you have to kind of unwind that process to try to figure out exactly to come up with <clears throat> a more coherent and consistent framework to collect data and report it. So that's consideration number one. But also the question of whether anybody is aware of a, of a study of, of that kind. Uh, I think to, for the other analysis, that I think, I think we're putting a little bit too much faith on data. I, I hate to be David's advocate, et cetera. The decision not taken based on data. That's just a fact in governments. There are political economy factors. You want a school in a place, even there are zero students because whatever. I want to steal students from all the other areas and build up my constituency and vice versa, et cetera. And it's never an isolated case. You need a school, you need the road, you need security, you need electricity, you need the da, 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 da. So again, I don't know whether Sierra Leone has one of those, what we call dual budgeting system, which clearly ends up complicating things because decisions on building a school kind of belong to a particular ministry, which is again, a center of power, if you will, if not monopoly in certain areas. And then you have to negotiate your way through 
the other side of the budget, which is well, hiring teachers, make sure that you have a school, make sure that you have security services, make sure you might have a may need a clinic, if there's a rural school, and so on and so forth. Uh, so that's again a sort of sort of a critique, so to speak, to this perhaps excessively sectoral approach. So okay, the other things is okay, to take a more of a holistic view. Uh, the data, no, not, not, I don't want to diminish by all means what you say, you need the data, absolutely. But again, having these maps busy on some, some probably multivariate spatial analysis, say that it's, it's great, it's good. But, you know, we have to be realistic. Decisions are not taken that, but hopefully data are considered as well, but there are so many other factors that we need to take into account and try to understand. And I go back to political economy, historical reasons, and so on and so forth. Sorry, these are more than questions of perhaps consideration of kind of a little bit of whining from my side. <laughs> Thank you. You had a question as well. Um, thanks. Well, probably this comment. <clears throat> our revenue sharing formula with our provinces is influenced uh, by the number of school going children. And, and you know, it's, <clears throat> there's always a big fight uh, when, 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 you know, you have to base money, base money on that. So this obviously a very interesting uh, presentation. Um, was thinking, you know, you, you, you spoke about just kind of uh, cleaning up the data and getting it working. So uh, are you looking at things like linking up to your population register for for using IDs and and and, and stuff like that in order to in order to manage? Uh, you know, as I was listening to this, I was thinking about uh, uh, systems where you actually use this to register children so that you can get the parents involved. Uh, you know, at the initial phase, in order to ensure that the quality of the data uh, is improved. Uh, maybe links to other systems. So you might have grant systems or you know, things like that, that uh, maybe even your tax system, I don't know, but, but it's probably, you know, you would have to look at, at, at kind of uh, areas where, where, where you do interact with the poor as well. Um, and then me being a vindictive type, uh, <laughs> they, they, they would probably also have to be some other sort of link back to your HR system. Uh, if you want to start uh, thinking about uh, doing something of, uh, about managing the ab absenteeism. Um, yeah, so those probably just a few a few comments to, to get your views on that. Thanks. That was definitely enough there. Um, um, okay, Gundula, do you want to add, want to add one more to the mix? Yeah. yeah? Um, yeah wait, wait for the mic. <laughs> Yes, thank you. So my question is um, to Ali. So you mentioned at some point that uh, the government of, of Sierra Leone was also interested in putting some of this uh, education information out into the public sphere and, and share it, um, um, make it publicly available. Um, I guess my question is, uh, could you explain a bit more where that interest comes from? Why did, what is it driven by? And have you noticed any any civil society actors like NGOs or, or journalists or anyone picking up on that data and using it for advocacy or for, for any kind of dis public discussion around education policy? And maybe to add on, if, if that is happening, do you also see some tensions 
or maybe some reluctance sort of slowly growing within government or sort of being like a sort of selection over what type of information to put out and whatnot. Thank you. I just hand on to yeah okay let me let's just deal with those i think first so I, I've, i'll try and summarize them because i think i think there's basically a there's a question about why did fragmentation arise um and you know what i think would be interesting for people to understand that in the context of sierra leone um there's this question of how is data and input into decision making and how is that kind of balanced amongst other options i suppose the kind of this very technocratic allocation of schools has to kind of factor in with both a sort of the the kind of political choices that need to be made and the values that need to be balanced, plus, I suppose, a kind of point around governance and who makes that decision. Um, and I, I guess I'd frame a bit the questions, the point you were making is a bit about data gaming. I mean, one of the things I was a bit surprised didn't come out in the conversation that I've heard from other countries is that, you know, sort of school, particularly when you link much, like resources to, find, to kind of places, right? So capitation grants, you do get this, gaming of the education figures and uh, this i know this happens for example in tanzania there's been concerns about it in uganda um so this kind of data gaming question and, and maybe how that relates to the single source of truth so if there's you know where is that truth if if you've got this concern with with data and how do you kind of use the different systems to essentially come to that decision about what's a kind of credible number uh, and then lastly this point about transparency and in, in of, the, of the of the information and how that's kind of feeding through into public debate where that's kind of coming from. Um, let me go in that kind of reverse order again. So um, uh, Iman, if we could start with you, <laughs> and you, I suppose pick the ones that you kind of feel you're kind of, you know, where you're wanting to respond to, and I'll kind of call you up if there's any that you really need to kind of talk to after. Sure, apologies. I think I might have dropped off in the middle of a couple of the questions. Um, as I mentioned, I'm taking this call from Freetown and today the internet has decided that it doesn't want to be on our side. So I'm hoping that you'll be able to hear me to answer these questions now. Um, luckily, I'm even surprised it managed to stay on for the whole presentation. I was really praying that it would. Um, the question I did actually hear before it kind of started getting a cut um, was um, the question on why did fragmentation arise? And I think that is such a good and important question that I don't think we always ask ourselves. So from the work we were doing and from my experience working in the ministry, I think one of the reasons why the fragmentation arise and why there was all this duplication was different directorates not trusting other directorates. So um, as Ali mentioned, Fabink work with the director of planning and, planning and policy, sorry, they manage the annual school census. And that is an exercise that happens every year in the ministry, pretty much without a doubt. And that's the main source of data collection at the ministry. But the issue is that's the main source, but you have a lot of other directorates that don't necessarily trust the, the annual school census, which is a huge issue. So because they don't necessarily trust what's happening in the school census, they then want to go and do their own data collection because they think that it will be more credible. So I think that's one issue. And I think the other issue is um, one thing I mentioned about different directorates working with different donor partners and they're not necessarily talking to each other. 
I think the directorates aren't talking to each other. I think the donors aren't talking to each other. Even us partners who are supporting the ministry aren't always talking to each other. And so you get one thing that's being funded by EU with the planning and policy department. And then you have another system being funded by World Bank, for example, that's working with a different directorate. All of these things are kind of doing very similar data collections, very similar dashboards, but it's slightly different. And you have a different donor and because no one's talking to each other and everyone kind of just wants to have what they want to have, it's just not worked. And I think, um, Ali, I can see you're smiling because I think we've both kind of seen how that's kind of arisen and how that's just been such an issue. And I think now, this time, the guess the way we're trying to kind of deal with the why did the fragmentation arise is this collaboration between partners. That's only one part of it. But I guess between this, we're also trying to make sure that all the directorates do have an input into the annual school census and that they actually do trust the data collection. They understand the process, they believe in the process, they, they're part of it as well, instead of just kind of being a directorate looking from the outside in. So I think that's one part that I think will help. But I, I really did um, like that question and that thought process that um, you went through. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on was um, looking at um, the system linkages um, that I kind of picked up when my internet was in the middle of dropping. So hopefully I haven't um, got this question wrong, but um, just an example of um, what the government are doing now to link the systems is that our national civil registration authorities of the NCRA are actually working directly with the ministry to give um, students um, national insurance numbers. And those are gonna be linked to the MS system that is going to be used in the ministry. So although um, I think we do have a way to go, I think that's a really good start. It's not just the ministry kind of trying to do their own thing, but they are trying to also work with the different government agencies. And um, Ali also mentioned um, the work with the Ministry of Finance. It was a big thing to get the Ministry of Finance to use MS codes, which is kind of crazy because why wouldn't you want to use it? But they already had their own system that worked for them. And it, it obviously wasn't working for the ministry. So you had that huge disconnect. So the fact that they both said, okay, we've met, we're in agreement. We're definitely going to all use MS codes is a massive thing in itself particularly for um, looking at paying teachers on payroll, um, making sure that um, this, the different schools get subsidies. Like this is a really, really big thing. And all it is, is them just switching a code from one thing to another thing that they both already had. They just both, both weren't using the same thing. So yeah, we're, we're kind of getting there slowly but surely. Um, but yeah, I'll hand back over to the chair. Thanks very much. So I don't know, Ali, whether you want to kind of build on from that. Uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, Iman was covering a few of the different things. Um, I think uh, in terms of the um, kind of balancing the, the reality, the political reality um, and the um, and the sort of gov the governance side of things, I think um, perhaps in this very first case with the planning tools um, has been useful because it was um, a World Bank funded uh, program. So uh, maybe that reduced uh, some of the um, some of the problems. But I think as well, it's about um, kind of having something that you can, for the ministry, can improve trust. So with, uh, with the Ministry of Finance can show like if we get these resources, um, we do have processes in place to ensure that 
uh, it is spent well. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, I, I know, uh, as you say, that things aren't all, uh, aren't, can't always just be perfectly based on data, but um, I think making it as easy as possible for the data that is there to be used um, is kind of the, yeah, a useful step in that, in that way. Um, Point on transparency. Yeah, and the transparency side, it's um, yeah, I think it's it's quite interesting. Um, in terms of yeah, since the, the data has been made public, um, Iman, this was a question about if any kind of civil society um, actors had sort of taken it up, and if there if there had been kind of anything that had come out of it that had then increased resistance to data being made public, um, and I can't think of particular examples there. I mean, one that I can think is um, the Minister of Education using this data um, in his discussions with different stakeholders. So uh, in terms of when they were negotiating teacher salaries, he was uh, sending pictures of like, this is the data, this is the teachers, this is the sort of situation that we're, that we're dealing with and trying to um, use this to, uh, yeah, to, to help everyone be on the same page um, and know that, um, yeah, even when resources are, uh, yeah, are limited, this is kind of the way that we want to use them. Um, so that's kind of one example, I would think. Um, but I haven't seen, yeah, Iman, I don't know if you have any other uh, examples you'd think there? Um, no, I haven't seen any um, issues that have come out of the data being made public. I think that the only thing that was, I guess, a bit of a concern or a, a worry at one point was, um, people not necessarily being able to understand the data on the education data hub. Um, like your average person wouldn't necessarily understand the different graphs that are being used. And so I think maybe that there was some concern about how accessible it was, but not in terms of what the data is actually saying, but more can people understand it? How are people gonna use it? Why, like it, that kind of thing. But I think the fact that it's been made public wasn't a bad thing that I think people did take to, which is really good. And maybe just to add as well about the sort of gaming the data side, I think, um, yeah, the, in Syria and subsidies are based on the number of children in schools. Um, and so I think it's basically, it's something that everyone is aware of and that the ministry does uh, follow up with headcount checks. Um, yeah, uh, to try and do extra verification. And this is one of the things that we had uh, running um, on the, the daily checks of this school census is has any school jumped in pupils from last year that we wouldn't expect uh, and go back. So yeah, again, I think it's just kind of, incremental steps to try and improve, um, yeah, improve trust in the process. Um, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I don't know. I just uh, feel I'm hearing too much positive about the World Bank. But uh, <laughs> there's, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of it is about what director wants it more. And, and, you know, the slack in the system financially is often outside of the government and it's kind of kept back, you know, and it's given to whichever director you know, looks the strongest. And you have seen, I mean, to kind of answer your question in reverse, Sparkle, you've seen in some countries where there is this kind of centralization, one of the bits that does benefit is the kind of data harmonization. So while I was rude about Tanzania before, that's one of the things that happened, right? It got, there was a ministry that wanted it more, had re really huge kind of amounts of talent there as well at the time. And and that that's a lot of the kind of data tasks across government have ended up in that ministry because it, 
because it worked at the time. And but it's the same where I come from. Like it's you know you give it to whoever wants it more. You if it's a particularly important task, maybe you invent an executive agency and they do it instead for a while. And of course they need their own IT budget. Um, yeah. But and and you you know part of the the more interesting thing to say maybe is like the learning. Like who solves the learning crisis? The evidence changes quite a lot on that. And who, whether it's a very complex task, what matters the most, what constraints matter the most, and that moves up and down the government system. So we might want to give, you know, we'd, we'd love to give everything to ward education officers or kind of head teachers, but we might there might also be a particular thing that you think needs to happen at the centre just because of you know where you can buy the talent really or, or where the mandate sits legally or where the power lies at the time in cabinet. Well, I think we've got probably time for like one or two short questions. If anyone- There, there are questions. Ah, there. sorry. Okay. Um, they haven't come through here. Oh, sorry. So there's one from, um, there's one from Nick Travis. There's one from Nick Travis. Um, So Nick said, great presentations and fascinating to learn about the various constraints and successes collecting better data in Sierra Leone. Perhaps I suffer from some selection bias, but even now it seems quite rare to encounter even quite basic data sets, such as the number of teachers and the number of pupils disaggregated by school that do not suffer from serious problems or inconsistencies across sources. Um, these two pieces of data are fundamental for budget preparation since they inform teacher pupil ratios, textbooks, ratios, etc. At the same time, there is now an emerging emphasis on establishing more advanced data systems aimed at providing more granular student level data that can be used for efforts to mitigate the learning crisis. However, I wonder if this can be realistically achieved if even the more basic systems do not yet function well or start to crumble when donors withdraw. Um, to what extent should a basics first approach govern the approach to data? So sorry, I should have summarized that, but it's a question around sustainability. Um, uh, so I, I think it might be useful to get some reflections on, uh, on like what happens when projects end. Um, I, I can say from my own experience, I've spent a lot of time in countries working on projects where I'm, I'm linking data together um, but I have a lot of incentives to do that because I'm a researcher and I think I'm going to write a research paper afterwards, whether I do or not is another question. Um, you know, but government officials don't. So often what I see is work that I've done linking data sets together that doesn't sustain beyond uh, a couple of years after my involvement. Um, it, in, I've, I've been very pleasantly surprised in some instances, but not always, um, but it'd be good to maybe final reflections on sustainability might be good. Yeah, maybe that's the good best, the good way to end as well. So Iman, why don't we start with you and then Ali and then Alistair going in that order. Um, I think I agree, first of all. Um, <laughs> how, 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 how can we expect a really complex system to function if the basics don't? I think where we're at, I know we talk about a high level and we talk about moving forward and what we're yeah. doing next, but I think one thing I have to admit that we are doing is actually trying to work on the basic systems. We're trying to make sure that right now that the annual school census makes sense, that each year it follows the same pattern. We're trying to make sure that um, 
when school quality assurance officers go to schools that they're filling out the forms that they're verifying the attendance of these students they're verifying the attendance of teachers and i do feel that and i i know that we have a way to go and i will always say that i do think that we are trying to start at the basics we do show these dashboards and we show these systems and that's kind of what we're getting to but we have definitely do have a focus on okay we need to know how many teachers are in this are in school we need to make sure these teachers are staying in school all day how can we do that and we're doing that through the one tablet per school program so although we are trying to make sure that the architecture works for later on when we want to ask a lot more complex questions we want to ask um, school leaders to fill out a whole census form on their own we will get there and we will have the system to do that but I think we are kind of trying to get those basics sort of sorted out first which is good on the sustainability part I think that's a really difficult question and we I I honestly feel like even since I was working at the ministry that we have this conversation like every couple of weeks <laughs> and I think the issue is that it, it is difficult with sustainability and I'm not sure if I have an answer for you as to what happens when the don't when the donor program finishes because I know one thing that everyone aspires to do is to hand over the everything the systems to the ministry and to make sure that they're working with the ministry to you know make sure that they understand it to build capacity so that you can hand it over and I think one thing that I happened when we, when I was working in the delivery unit was people kept coming to us and at the time we weren't necessarily meant to be there for more than 18 months can we hand it over to the delivery team and it's like well no because we're not consistent in the ministry you know so I don't think I have an answer for you but it's definitely something that we also all worry about and I think are concerned about because the ministry are doing so many things so many good things they are, but they, there's so much to do and there's just not enough capacity to do it. Like that's the, the truth of it. So you have these programs, yes, they bring extra capacity and they bring these different programs, but there might not necessarily be enough people to even hand over the system to. So um, I think that's probably more a reflection, sorry, than an answer to your question. Um, but if we do ever work that out, how we're gonna hand it all over when the donors pull out, definitely hopefully be able to get back to you on that. sentence or two on to build on that that was a pretty good one to end on <laughs> yeah i think think Ivan covered it um i think yeah just from our perspective some of the work that we've been doing is just uh in on the sustainability side it is yeah trying trying to make things as easy as possible so that um yeah so that it is easier for people to fit into their day-to-day -day, uh into their day-to-day -day roles that makes that uh, someone's job easier and then they'll keep using it um yeah even if the when the money uh stops so uh yeah i think that's one of the things that we're trying to trying to focus on yeah well i don't i mean i suppose it's about looking at um the kind of potential payoff but also the persistence so if you can if you have a data structure that is going to fall away after the donor leaves but you know redoes teacher allocation you know there's a paper recently that reckon that says that's kind of worth you know 10 10 to 12 percent of your wage bill and lower income countries, uh, Torsten Falter paper or something. And then there's also the, on the other end, there's the payoff. So you can do some things with, if you're informing how you do in-service teacher training, that's almost so valuable that it doesn't matter if it stops after four years. So I guess, yeah, it was a bit of a cold, boring answer, but it's just kind of what is the expected payoff really of, your, of the reform that you're actually supporting? Yeah, 
and therefore how long does it need to run for? Yeah. All right, there you go. Thanks very much, everyone. Um, we're going to go for coffee, I think. So, and um, we're back in sort of just over 12 minutes. I think. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Ali. Thanks, Alistair. And thanks, Iman. It's really great. Really good to have you. Thanks for calling. See you earlier.